for this. It's me, your host, Alexis Barber, and today is a very special episode of the podcast. So I don't really talk about this too often on the show. I've definitely done episodes about it in the past, but today we are talking about MS with the one and only Miss Nancy Davis, founder of the Race to Erase MS Foundation. And I wanted to give a little bit of background about my experience with MS before we jumped into this episode, where Nancy is sharing a ton of incredible insights about how she's built an organization that is fighting to erase MS, her her personal experience with MS, and how she's sort of dedicated her career to building such an incredible organization, as well as some tips and tricks for people who are navigating chronic illness, navigating trying to go to the doctor and get a diagnosis for something that they're not being taken seriously about, as well as some resources for anyone who's currently struggling with MS and doesn't really know where to start outside of medication. So I'm really excited to dive into this episode, but of course, I wanted to give you a little bit of background because MS, at least when I was diagnosed with it, I had no idea what it was. Partially because I was 14, 15 years old, and you know, I don't think 15 year olds know much about all the diseases that are plaguing the world, but I wanted to give some information about multiple sclerosis. So, multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disease. There is currently no understanding of the cause, and there's no cure for multiple sclerosis. It essentially happens when the myelin sheath which is sort of a protective barrier of the nerves in our brain, starts to randomly disintegrate. So then in your brain, you have all these little nerves in different areas that are not working properly, which can cause any number of symptoms or issues in your body. So most commonly people experience pains in their body, they experience fatigue, they experience loss of vision, they can experience loss of motor skills, they can experience a lot of different things sort of all over the spectrum because you never know where in your brain your myelin sheath is going to start disintegrating and sending incorrect nerve signals across the brain. That's a little bit of background on what the disease actually is. Just so we know more about MS and who it's affecting, currently 1 million Americans live with multiple sclerosis and more more people are living with MS than ever before. 70% of the people who have MS are women. Women are three times more likely than men to develop MS, and Black and Hispanic individuals are also affected by MS in large numbers. Essentially, for women, this can be such a huge issue. When I was diagnosed, they told me it's most commonly affecting women who are in their 40s and 50s. So I was a little shocked, of course, as a little 14-year-old, like why this was happening to me. A lot of people suggest that stress has a lot to do with the disease, which I completely understand. I've been under a lot of stress for my entire life, so I can imagine that that plays a role in this as well. Um, And it's part of the reason that I'm personally taking steps back from things and you know, trying to give it myself a little bit more room to breathe and not be so busy all the time and make better decisions for my health. So, you know, so that's a little bit of background on what MS is. I do also want to give you a little bit of info about my personal experience. So when I was 14 years old, I was at summer camp in Wisconsin and I woke up and I basically had lost feeling in half my body. So essentially, if you were to prick my right side and you were to prick my left side, I could only really feel it about 50% on my right side. So we weren't really sure what was going on. I will say that this was at an extremely stressful time in my life as a young person for other personal family reasons. They didn't really know what it was. So since I was at summer camp, they diagnosed me with Lyme disease and they put 
me on Lyme disease medication. I was tired all the time. Oh, I'm honestly like getting emotional thinking about it right now, but I was just so scared. Like I just didn't know what was wrong with me. This was like about 10 years ago exactly now. And essentially after that, I came home. My mom was very concerned and my mom has always been very concerned about our health and making sure that every single one of us is so safe and taken care of. And so she fought for a long time to put me into or to get me to the right doctors and get the right testing. And it took eight months for me to reach a diagnosis. So I went, I got all this blood work. I did all of these tests and I had an MRI of my spine because they thought something would have been wrong there. And at the very bottom of my brainstem, they saw what appeared to be a lesion. So that's what we call it, an MS, where basically there's like a little white spot on your MRI where the myelin sheath has disintegrated. It's no longer there. So you can see that little white spot. And when they saw that at the bottom of my brainstem, they were like, okay, let's order an MRI of the brain. Also at this time, guys, like I was on Medicaid, like we didn't have good health insurance. So that's why it took so long to get a diagnosis. And they ordered an MRI of my brain and they found more. So that's how I got my diagnosis. I remember it distinctly. It was February of 20. I don't even know when, but it was February when I was 15 years old and I didn't know what was going on and I was so scared. After that, I got started on a medication called Copaxone, which is um, the most, it's like the longest running MS drug where basically you have to give yourself a shot in an area of your body three times per week. And that was hell for me. I hated needles. I had had an experience when I was getting an MRI where they couldn't find an IV on me and were digging in my arm while I had to remain completely still. That really traumatized me when it came to needles. I also didn't feel like anyone was taking me seriously. My mom wasn't there. And I mean, just the nature of being on Medicaid and like being poor while at the doctor and then adding being black on top of that, it's just, it's really like, you do sort of get looked at funny, and so it's kind of hard, especially if you're in a place where you're not seeing good nurses. After that, I went on Copaxone, and I was on that for a few years until I got to college. The only reason I stayed on it is because while I was at boarding school, we had a school nurse who would literally come into my room and force me to do it every single day, and that's the only reason I stayed on it because I hated that shit so much. And eventually I developed a ton of scar tissue in my like lower hip area to where the medication just wasn't going in smoothly anymore. Not to mention it's just like kind of brutal to have to like prick yourself every few days. But the medication was not going in anymore and I just wasn't enjoying it. So I went to college and for a couple years, honestly, I completely neglected my health. For my freshman and sophomore year, I didn't want to find a new doctor. I didn't want to take mycopaxone. I got on another medication called Tecfidera, but that medication literally gave me like menopausal symptoms. Like I was getting hot flashes. I would turn red every time I took it. I never wanted to take it. So again, neglecting my health. Then I went on a medication called Tysabri, which is a monthly infusion for an hour. So I would commute into Northwestern Medicine. Into we Evans Northwestern is in Evanston, which is a suburb of Chicago. But Northwestern Medicine, which is a world-renowned, obviously, hospital in Chicago, was in downtown Chicago. So I'd take the bus for an hour go get my infusion, sit there for two hours, and come home every single month. And the infusion, I just would, I, I think the hardest part about MS for me has not been the physical. 
it has been the mental. For me, I think I was constantly having so much anxiety, physical manifest- manifestations of anxiety, throwing up out of fear of going to the doctor because I just hated it so much. And I think it's because what MS really does take from you is your freedom. And to be like 15 years old and everybody else gets to experience life in a different way made it really hard for me to accept that like I had this disease and that I had to take care of myself in a way that like other teenagers didn't have to do. And I think that's why I neglected my health for so long because I didn't want to admit that like I had to have a different experience. I had had to be different for my entire life up until that point. I had had to show up. I had to be the poor girl at the private school. I had to be the black girl at everywhere I went. And to have this disease too, it was really just devastating for me. So luckily, none of my symptoms were too bad to the point where they really were debilitating me. But I think the fact that I had to take care of myself, oh, it's still something I struggle with is like loving myself enough to take care of myself. Finally, after a year um, or two years on Tysavory, I decided to make the switch to Ocrevus which is a twice a year infusion that's six hours long. So I get that infusion every six months. And essentially I take these, I take steroids, I take Benadryl, I take Tylenol, I take all this stuff and it just knocks me out. I sleep the whole time. I have to take Xanax to go. Jeff usually comes with me. And for a few days after you have sort of flu-like symptoms. Um, So that's sort of what I've been dealing with so far. And of course, that medication is a B-cell inhibitor. And if you don't know this, B-cells are the cells that build up our immune system. So I switched to Ocrevus literally February 13th, 2020. So that's why I became immunocompromised literally a month before COVID pandemic rocked the world. So um, I've been immunocompromised since then. But um, luckily, I've had COVID three times and survived. Yay me. And I think that's just because I take care of my health in other ways. But anyway, (laughs) that is my story with MS. Today, like I said, um, none of my symptoms are too bad. I really think the mental part of it is the worst. They're all sort of like managed with different care as well as with medication, which I'm very grateful for. And so being able to talk to Nancy today about the experience of building a massive, you know, charity that has helped pioneer medications from a place where there literally was zero when she was diagnosed, that really helped. And also her experience with homeopathic doctors really helped me reignite my love or or my commitment to taking care of my own health. This episode is coming out around the time of World MS Day. World MS Day is Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. So if you can support anyone with MS in your life, including myself, there will be resources to do that on the Two Collective page, probably on my page as well. So with that long intro behind us, let's dive into my conversation with Nancy Davis. So I guess we can start with that. Do you identify with like your your with being a Taurus? Um, I you know I I see different parts of being a Taurus, and I say they sometimes say you're bullheaded. Uh, and um, I I think stubborn almost in a good way. I think when I I don't hear what I want to, especially when it comes to you know medical research and different things, I get really frustrated, and I know we can do better and get there quicker. So I'm I'm stubborn when it comes to like I know we can do better, and we have to to move along quicker because there's so many people that suffer from MS. Mm-hmm. 
another charity for addiction called Cure Addiction Now. So um, I, I get frustrated and um, I know I'm, I'm of, of a Taurus, I'm, I'm organized you know, uh, very independent about it and told so many times that with my MS, especially in the beginning, that I should just go home and go to bed and that I would never walk again. Uh, I was a young mom when I was diagnosed and I was told uh, that was my life, uh, that I would be, you know, in my bed and I'd probably be able to operate the remote control on my TV set, but that was about it. Um, at the time, there was no known cause, no cure, no drugs on the market to help stop the progression of MS. So we started and everybody told me that it was the most impossible disease and it never would be anything. I went and got second opinions from some of the best doctors in our country. And along the way, I learned that the best of the best hospitals were doing identical research as each other, but they were convinced that they were the only ones doing that research, which I found, you know, kind of ridiculous and a a big waste of time and, and money, basically. When I went to the fifth doctor, getting an op- a second opinion, they still told me I had MS. I, I was hoping I would not have MS. They, I was listening to what they were doing, and I thought, you know, we, we can do better. When you every doctor is telling me that you know, they're doing this exact same study, and you're thinking uh, that it's going over my head that I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know exactly what you're talking about because I'm, I'm a terrified patient who wants to live a good quality of life, and I'm a mom with three kids, and it's, nothing is more important than being there for my children. So we put something together, a virtual something, 30 years ago, way before its time, Center Without Walls, uh, before like all the Zoom and all that, all that really, you know, existed. And today, the exciting news is there's 25 drugs on the market to help stop the progression of MS. That is nothing short of a miracle from where we started with no hope and, and, and no possibilities. So I'm really excited. We're going to have our 30th annual Race to Race MS coming up in Los Angeles on June 2nd. Uh, it's going to be a pretty spectacular celebration because there's so much to celebrate. For that young person, you know, usually between the ages of 20 and 40 getting MS, it's exciting because there's so much you can do when you're first diagnosed and go on one of these medicines and, and not have this happen. It, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting that we have so many things. We don't have something to cure every type of MS, so that's a big problem still. About 85% of people have relapsing remitting MS, uh, which is what I have. And uh, these medicines are really good for that. And when taken right in the beginning, when you're first diagnosed, uh, they can really prevent you from having uh, the demyelination that happens. We've been studying for many years to try to figure out ways to restore nerve damage and remyelinate. We we don't have that done, but we know if you're newly diagnosed, we know how to make you uh, stop from getting worse. And that's very exciting. It absolutely is. I think I want to go a little bit back. We can skip the rapid fire for now and because I, I just want to sort of dive into this story because it's clearly been such a long time that you've been working and doing this work with MS. So for context, for my listeners, I don't really talk about my diagnosis of MS very often on the show. So I kind of want to start by giving a great, a, a bit of a background on what MS is and sort of maybe some top line things of how many people are suffering from this disease. Obviously, you just sh- shared with us that there's 25 medications now where there were previously none. So could you talk a little bit more about like who's getting MS, what you think what or what the research points out to be why people are getting MS and like what the real issue and sort of problem that you're working to solve looks like? 
I would say so many women in our country, but at least three times as many women as men get MS, usually in the prime of your life, and you're just sort of hitting your stride between the ages of 20 and 40. That's the most common age to get MS. I mean, you could get it earlier, and we now know that little kids can get it, which we didn't used to know, and people later in life can get it. I got it at 33 years old. I did not have it in my family. I had nobody that was related to me that had MS, and all of a sudden, I had a ski accident, and um, two weeks later, I woke up. And I started losing uh, the feeling and sensation in different parts of my body, then my eyesight, and different things. Every three days, I'd lose a different sensation. I was kind of scared. I was kind of terrified. I, I was a young mom with three kids, not in a good marriage. Started reading everything that there was about MS. It was like stress will kill you, stress will cripple you, stress will, you know, cause these symptoms to magnify. And I started having to take a really hard look at my life, my relationship that I was in, and realizing if I want to be okay and be here for my kids, I I need to get out of this this bad toxic marriage. And it's not and when I first told my um, ex husband, now my now my ex husband that I had MS, he very well and it was actually mean about it and it was really upsetting mm. I, I can't imagine you'd attack somebody for a, a disease that they they didn't choose to have or didn't cause to have happened so it was really it was really upsetting but as soon as I did get divorced my health got better <laughs> moved that out of my life um, I went to see so many amazing doctors all over the country and I decided to put this thing together called the center without walls so center without walls has been a magnificent thing for us and it brings the best and the brightest doctors all over the country the idea is they have to constantly communicate every month and they can never duplicate research but they have to report to each other on a monthly basis Basis, everything that's happening, good or bad, like 90% of every medical study ends up with a negative result. But it's important that that information is shared with all the doctors so that they don't spend the same amount of money, time and energy again and again to come up with the same negative result. But out of every negative result, you also find something positive. Uh, you might find you're, you're testing a drug and maybe it has these side effects or when combined with another compound, it has a different side effect. And it's so important that our doctors have to talk to each other constantly and, and update each other, even on studies that we're not funding that have to do with MS, so that we will get there a lot quicker. That is our, our whole goal of, of this charity. You asked me what my goal is, is to sort of win the race, to erase MS and cross that finish line with victory and, and cure everybody and prevent other people in their lifetime from getting it. And What's exciting is I, I, we really have some amazing medicines. and it's, it's hard to define what a cure looks like, but for people who are on Ocrevus and Casimta, their medications that we, uh, we, we, we did the pilot studies for a really long time ago at UC San Francisco, and they're pretty genius medicines. We were asking ourselves at the time, what is causing the T cells in your body to start attacking each other? Why is that happening? And we found out that when your B cells are elevated, then it starts that whole mechanism where the T cells start attacking each other. Then you have demyelination, you have pain, you have numbing, you have different feelings. When we can deplete all of your B cells, there's nothing starting that attack to happen. So it's kind of a... Mm -hmm medicine. We've done a lot with B-cell uh, depression uh, medications and they, they work really well. Um, they really do. If you're on Ocrevus, you, you take an IV uh, twice a year. 
if you're on Casempta, you take your, you give yourself a shot once a month, but it basically does the same thing. Uh, different people favor one or the other, depending on what their lifestyle is. There's other ones coming uh, through the pipeline now. There's another drug that got FDA approval not too long ago, um, which does the same thing in a different way. Others and better versions of those coming uh, coming up now. And it's amazing. So clearly, like, I think you you explained that you got diagnosed with MS, you wanted to get second opinions, and you noticed that there was like discrepancies where people were, you know, doing duplicative research. And so what made you decide, okay, I'm battling this disease, but I also want to dedicate my life and my career to helping other people battle this disease and sort of fixing those gaps that we're seeing here. So what was it in your personal life that made you decide that you wanted to dedicate your life to this cause? You know what? I don't even know when it happened. It was more like by osmosis. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I was diagnosed. I was a young mom with three kids. And there's nothing that I wanted to be more than to be an independent good mother to my children and be able to take care of them. And the idea of them having to take care of me at such a young age was, was devastating to me. And I've always been a high energy kind of person. I would be sitting in my bed every day and able to operate the remote control of my TV set was just nauseating. That wasn't, you know, the, a plan I had for my life, especially not at 33 when you're just sort of hitting your stride in life. And um, you've, you've graduated from college, you had some kids and, you know, I was, I was going to get going. And all of a sudden you're, you're taking my freedom away. And I was, I was terrified. So uh, as I say, by osmosis, I, I didn't know that I was going to end up there. Uh, I just thought personally, I would go try to see if somebody had something that could cure my MS. And I was really hoping somebody would tell me I, they'd made a mistake and I didn't really have MS. So, and my, mm -hmm. I found out I definitely had MS listening to what they were doing. It was very apparent that all the doctors were doing identical research and not, not communicating. And it sounds really simple, the idea of communicating, but it, it doesn't happen easily unless you make it happen in a big way. And we did, and we, we got the best doctors from all over the country, from Harvard, from Yale, from the uh, Cleveland Clinic, from USC, from UC San Francisco, from Johns Hopkins. And now we've had UCLA, um, Cedars-Sinai. Uh, we have really great, brilliant doctors. And every year we also um, try to attract the young doctors these awards for the young scientists who are just mm -hmm. graduating from medical school who want to go into the MS field. And we, we really want to grab them, the most brilliant ones. And uh, they usually graduate from medical school and they have like, you know, sometimes $200,000 worth of, you know, student loans. And they're not high up on the hierarchy of, of getting their study funded. However, we go out of our way to find those people who are the, the real superstars who have really great studies and we want to fund them and give them their career and start it as young young as we can and and open that up and then they work hand in hand with some of the older doctors who are, are brilliant but it's really important that we we attract a, a, a really young group I think you know younger doctors versus older doctors have learned medicine in such a uniquely different way by you know having access to the internet and knowing how to you know talk to a doctor in Italy talking to this in Alaska, talking to this person, you know, on the moon for all, you know, for all I know, you can get this knowledge so quickly and your questions answered and, and there's a way to do it. And older doctors or people, even my, my age, you know, it, it wasn't such a common thing to, to be able to, you know, know how to work the internet. And now it's just fascinating um, all the information you can get and connect to you know, the most brilliant doctors all over the world. It, it's very exciting. It's crazy because I think like, obviously, the, this disease has, there's been like so many transformations in the past, I guess, 30 or so years. So I would like to know how you went from being like 
a divorcee, mother of young kids, and you decided to start this organization, which now has such a huge impact where you're working with the top doctors. Was it really like similar to a journey of entrepreneurship, you would say? Or did you start by like just building those connections with doctors and then just constantly fundraising? So I'd love to hear more about like that sort of business or organizational side to it that you had to work through. Okay, so I grew up in a philanthropic family, and we just always did. And my little sister had been diagnosed with diabetes at seven years old. And so uh, I worked with my mom creating something called the um, Carousel Ball or the Carousel of Hope in Denver, Colorado. And I found some very unique ways of raising money by doing, you know, fun auctions. And at that time, you know, walk on parts on TV shows and you just like random trips to different places, clothing stores, different things. And it, it became apparent that you actually having auction meetings and having all my young friends over sitting, you know, on the floor in my living room, coming up with like, you know, what is your fantasy item? We were coming up with items that would end up selling for a lot of money and we made it kind of fun, but that money went to these very important doctors. And so Mm -hmm. I was all of a sudden diagnosed with MS. I, you know, it's not like I had a choice. This is what I grew up on. It was, it was in my blood, I suppose. And I saw a big niche in a place where I thought I could make a difference. I didn't know that was going to be my career. Um, I thought that I'd find a cure real quick and just move on. (laughs) I thought it's just... (laughs) A deal. It, it is that big of a deal and it takes a, a lot of blood, sweat and tears and a lot of years. But we're going into our 30th race to race MS uh, on June 2nd. So that's, I mean, that's a long time. So it's, it's, you know, but it's kind of monumental that most every year we get FDA approval on another drug. On December uh, 24th, we got FDA approval on the 25th MS drug, which is pretty exciting. Can't mm-hmm. for all of those, but 18 out of the 25, we did the pilot studies. So we, we do it when it's in the very beginning stages and we have these ideas and we have brilliant doctors and we, we sort of vet out who's, whose studies we're going to fund, which is the best of the best. And uh, it's amazing to see when they come to fruition like this. And um, not all the studies are a medication that's going to be coming out, but different treatments and understanding different aspects of MS so that we can look at the whole big picture. And even, uh, you know, we have a project called the Names Project, learning how to make a gold standard for how people have MRIs and how they're read for people with MS to discover, you know, what kind of MS you're going to have and how severe or or not severe your 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 course of your treatment should be. And so we're identifying some different markers and hopefully all over the world when people are are diagnosed, they will look at an MRI the same way as each other and, and know here's what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do based on these particular markers. So that's that's one of the studies. It's been extremely I did not know that this would be a career. I, you know, I graduated from college and I, you know, I had, you know, different ideas and different dreams of what I was going to be. I first was going to be a criminal attorney, which I don't even know why I thought I would like to do that. (laughs) I am really glad that's not my thing. I had kids very young and, uh, you know, life throws you curveballs and you don't know what you're going to do with those curveballs, but you, you have to sink or swim. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm that person who looks at a problem. I'm not good at staying depressed. I'm good at being depressed for about one day, but then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do about it? Cause it doesn't feel comfortable for me to sit around feeling sorry for myself. It just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work for anybody. So I figure out like mm-hmm. I do something positive. It makes me feel positive. And, you know, every day I'm like the most positive person. And, you know, I wake up every morning and I, I say these certain prayers and I always go down a list of whatever it is that I'm grateful for. And I, I feel upset. 
my it sets me in a very positive way because it it doesn't really help to sit there thinking about what you don't have and it's much better to be grateful for what you do have and I, I feel like I was told I'd never walk again and here I am many years later and I'm able to walk and uh, I'm able to be a mom and I'm able to run this charity and I started another charity about three or four years ago called Cure Addiction Now. I had a son who unfortunately had a, an addiction problem and he passed away at the beginning of COVID and oh, I'm so sorry. started a charity with him called Cure Addiction Now we are developing medications, which for 20 years, nobody put any money into research. It's the leading cause of death in our country. And that we have never bothered funding research to understand, you know, why is it a disease? What makes it a disease? What medications can we develop? Um, the things that we have in our country are, are working not very well. Um, they, there's AA, there's a 12-step program, and it works for 7% of the people. So which is fabulous. If that works for you, I all for it. I think that's great. But what do you do with the other 93% of the people? You have to find medications. It's a brain disease. It starts in your brain. And my son was very strong about saying, mom, this comes from your brain. It's your cravings. How do we... Mm -hmm for everybody to also get sober and do this. So for, for ages, nobody called it a, a disease. Um, they, they, they shame people so often that have this problem. A lot of people have this problem and people are always like, you know, hiding in, in plain sight because they don't want people to know that it's them that has it. And they have it, but it, it's since, since COVID, it's now the leading cause of death for people 50 years old and younger. We are developing medications for that the same way that we have at the Center Without Walls for Race to Race MS. We have kind of a center without walls with eight of the best doctors in the country who are studying your brain and coming up with, with medications and different things that are going to help your cravings and help it make it easier for people to detox. And we're going to create a vaccine too, which is one of our, our big things. And uh, Wow. Yeah, so we're we're doing that for you know all that, and I, I obviously got great training with race to race MS, learning you know how do how do you tackle this impossible problem because nothing's impossible, it just hasn't been dealt with, and the more people tell you something's impossible and there will never be a cure, I, I find that the most uh, most you know exciting because I I think they're just not looking at it right and. You know, sometimes you go to a doctor and they tell you something that you don't feel is right. It's not the right second opinion. It's not the right first opinion. And you have to stand up for yourself. You have to always ask a lot of questions, even if, you know, people, you know, are looking at you and saying, oh, my God, you're, you're taking too much time up in your doctor's appointment. You can never take up enough time. You have to. You finally made the appointment. You're going to go to the doctor. And you know what? You deserve to be heard, whatever your thing is. And a doctor cannot read your mind or know what you're going through. So you have to speak up for yourself. I really appreciate that sentiment. And first of all, I mean, it's amazing the work you're doing. I mean, I, so many people struggle with addiction. So approaching it for, in a new way, I think will really move the needle for a lot of people. On that note of going to the doctor, making sure that you feel heard, I am curious if you have any tips or some, or any sort of like I guess examples of how to stand up for yourself when you're in the doc at the doctor because for me it took I was 15 when I was diagnosed and it was because I lost sensation in like half ish my body while I was at summer camp and I was 14 when that happened 
And it took over a year to actually be di- be diagnosed because people just didn't believe. Like I-, I was the youngest person my neurologist had ever seen. They didn't really know what was going on. It took so long to get an MRI. So if I didn't have my mom in there, just like keep going, like asking for things, I, I don't really know what would have happened. So I'm really curious, do you have any specific tips or just more words of encouragement for people who want to stand up for their own health or who are really scared because something's going on and they're afraid of going to the doctor and finding out? I wrote a book called Lean on Me, basically the 12 steps to help you get when you or a loved one is diagnosed with any life-altering or life-threatening disease. And it's, it's how to get through that and, and the importance of having somebody with you, like your mother, a, a friend, a spouse, uh, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, or there's something about a second opinion. Uh, most people are afraid to get a second opinion. And the leading reason why is because they're afraid to insult their doctor. A lot mm. of people die than hurt their doctor feelings, which is absolutely ludicrous. Um, when you go to a doctor, you're usually you get in there, they have you put on some flimsy, you know, little gown and you feel a little bit, you know, vulnerable and intimidated. I always write down a list because I will forget things that I'm going to get, that I've been playing backwards in my mind for the last week before I have the doctor's appointment. But when you go, you have to have a list. And Doctors generally really appreciate the patient who comes in armed and asking for questions. They're really happy to do that. A lot of people think that the doctor can read their mind and they know exactly what they're thinking. They don't know what you ate for dinner two weeks ago. They don't know that this made you sick. They don't know that that thing happened or this, you know, other things going to happen, you know, next week. You have to spell it out. You know, don't assume that if you go, you got the best doctor, you know, for whatever your element is, is that they, they are a mind reader and they're going to help you. You really have to to be your own advocate in your health care and you can't assume that someone's going to do it for you. you have to do it if you're not well and you're going to a doctor or you're in a hospital i really advocate that somebody's with you very often they give you the wrong medicine they give you something you're allergic to i remember being in the hospital once helping my father and he had a horrible reaction to a medication i know the doctor said let's put him you know put it down that he's never to receive this i was there the very next day and they were about to give him the thing that he like almost died from and i'm like excuse me why would you give that to him? The doctor said that goes, oh yeah, you're right. They said not to give it to him. I said, then why are you giving him something? If I wasn't here and he was sleeping, you put it in someone's IV. I mean, he's going to die. I mean, like what is wrong with you? So I really advocate that everybody has a person even go with them to a doctor to hear when you're newly diagnosed, you don't hear everything. You might hear only the good. You might hear only the bad, but you certainly don't hear everything. And you owe it to yourself the best out of that doctor's appointment. The doctor will like you better. You will like the doctor better and you will feel heard. But it's, you know, it's a great idea. And I always keep a pad of paper next to my bed and I forever am jotting down questions uh, about different things. And it just reminds you. And so, you know, if, if you have five days before you go, you know, for a doctor's appointment, just write stuff down and, you know, and maybe by the time there you won't have all those questions, but maybe you'll have that and more. And, and um, I think doctors really appreciate the well-educated patient who knows what they're looking for. And I think some people, you know, just expect them to like, you know, give you this whole little song and dance, but everybody's so different. Everybody's case with whatever medication or whatever disease they have is completely different. So it's really important that you, you, you go prepared. I really love how like tangible that advice is for people. And it also just helps you um, like one, of course, like being with someone whenever you go to the doctor, because I often remember I was just afraid to ask people because once obviously I went 
I was diagnosed when I was 15, but when I went to college away from home, I was always really afraid to go to the doctor and it ended up in me neglecting my health because I was like afraid to go alone. And what I recognized is that my friends, when I would ask them, because I developed like a phobia of needles from my MS diagnosis. And so when I would have to get my blood drawn, I would get so scared. But what happened was I would tell my friends like, hey guys, like I'm really scared about this. And they had no problem taking 20 minutes out of their day to come with me to like the health area and get my blood drawn and hold my hand. And I had people come with me to my infusions. And when you you can lean on your community a lot more than you think you can. And I think it's so important to remind yourself like you're not alone in this, but your health has to be a priority and you have to bring someone with you. I also really love the like taking notes. Being a well-educated patient is so important to not only like you just you we all have a role in our own care, you know? And so we have to show up with as much information as possible because these doctors are seeing sometimes 20, 50 people in a row and they don't have time to remember everything all the time. So you've got to sort of take that into your own hands. So I really love that as well. Doctors are having a bad day. We all have a bad day. Maybe they got a a ticket on the way uh, in the morning. Maybe they had an argument with their spouse or significant other. Maybe, I don't know, they, they, you know, lost, uh, you know, a huge deal. Or I mean, we, we have to understand that doctors are human too. And the more information you give them, the more feedback they can give you back. Absolutely. I really love that. I'm curious, um, as someone who's obviously seen a lot of you know, changes and a lot of patients who have experienced MS, what are some resources for people who don't have MS but might be wanting to support others in their life that have chronic illnesses or things like MS? What would you say are some things you've seen work? As far as medications or treatment? No, I mean like say that your friend gets diagnosed with MS and you don't have MS or you don't have, you know, anything going on with you. How can you support that friend and show up for them? I think, I mean, if you're a good friend to somebody and they're first diagnosed, I think you, it's it's nice to offer to get in the car to drive them to an appointment, to take them there, maybe get them food. Maybe, you know, you don't know maybe how debilitated they are in that moment. I mean, sending somebody flowers, sending someone a cake, sending someone their favorite sushi or or food, or just, you know, a smoothie or something that makes them feel good. You know, everybody wants to be loved. And when you get diagnosed with an illness, you feel very isolated. And what our friends and people around us can do is to make us not feel isolated and alone because it makes the disease a lot more scary, no matter what disease it is. And I think a good friend is always is willing to do something for you. It might not be everything in the world, but just something. Every little thing really counts. And I know when I was first diagnosed with MS, everybody said, don't tell anybody you have MS. I'm all like, why? <laughs> and it was the day before Valentine's Day, and I was having a party with my mom for Valentine's Day with a bunch of her friends and my friends. And I just stood up and I said, I'm just gonna get, I'm just gonna tell everybody right now, I have multiple sclerosis, and I don't want, you know, that to be all this. I don't want to have to explain this to each person separately over time. I'm just, I'm getting it out now. I, and some people said, well, are you contagious? And I'm like, no, I'm not contagious. But it was a good question because at that, that in that day and age, I think a lot of people thought maybe you're contagious or people are afraid to hug you or kiss you. But, you know, I think you have to, be, you know, tell your friends and, and, you know, go through it if you're newly diagnosed and say, here's what I have. I'm scared. 
I would really appreciate your your kindness and understanding. Uh, don't tell anybody. Tell everybody. Um, I just, you know, maybe I'm having a little trouble walking and getting around. If you'd help me, I'd be so grateful. I would never be afraid to ask for what it is that you actually really want. Um, a lot of people, mm-hmm. it's so it's so pushy of me. I can't do this. I can't do that. And uh, you know, you you can. You really can. Absolutely. I think that's really great advice. So I'm curious in your experience or through the people you've seen help, is there anything other than medication that you're seeing that really helped you manage your symptoms? I, I love hearing this from people. Some people say taking vitamin D or, you know, get it moving to a place that doesn't have as much weather discrepancies like Los Angeles where you are. So um, is there anything like that that you that has worked for you? Well, you know, I have to be honest, um, I have gone the homeopathic route from day one. When I was mm. nothing existed. There was no known cause, no cure, no drugs in the market, and, and no hope that there ever would be. And given that, I went to a homeopathic doctor, and I, his name is Dr. Michael Gallitzer. I adore him to this day. He has helped me weather many a storm with my MS, and for a long time, there's no medications. So when I'm not doing well, I go to a homeopathic doctor. I also take a ton of vitamins, and you mentioned vitamin D. I take vitamin D all the time. It's really important. I usually take 5,000 milligrams at most everybody. I think it's like 98% of people that are diagnosed with MS are deficient in vitamin D. So it's a good thing to have it. Um, also with everybody you know, working at a computer all day and not going outside, we really are vitamin D deficient. We're not outside much in, in the winter months, especially most people don't have enough vitamin D. So it can really be a cause. And, and some people felt a way of almost curing your, your MS. So I'm um, not that that's going to happen in every situation, obviously, but it's a good thing vitamin D is pretty innocuous and easy to take. I take vitamin C every day. I feel it gives me a lot of energy and it keeps me from getting a lot of colds. I take it in the morning. I take it at night. I take calcium. I take magnesium. Um, I I take about 12 things every day. And I think it's important for you to go to um, even a homeopathic doctor with all the vitamins you take and let them see if all those things actually interact with your body well. And maybe the vitamins you're taking that maybe are not a good match with the other things you're taking or for you personally, depending on your situation and asking them also, what other things do you think I should be taking? Because you always read about a new vitamin, a new thing. And I think this week it's all about peptides. And should you have that? Should you not have that? I mean, there's always something new. And I, at some point, I take so many vitamins that sometimes it's kind of hard to swallow them. And yeah, me too. <laughs> my stomach, yeah. I have to take them with food. I've learned how to take them in the afternoon and not the morning now because I, I, they just agree with me better. So you have to find out, you know, your little quirks and what works for you. Because I sit there with those vitamins sometimes. I'm like, oh, I can't stomach this anymore. But, you know, it's, it's important to figure out whatever that is that that works for you and makes you feel better. Um, Exercising, um, certain kinds of exercise. Don't make yourself do an exercise that you really don't like to do, Um, but do one that's kind of fun. I know everyone's like all of a sudden playing pickleball and take a walk. You could take a run. You could be on a stationary bike watching TV. Just, you know, the idea of of movement is really, really good. And in the winter months, it's like, it's kind of not that much fun to go outside because the weather's been really bad everywhere lately. I don't know. It's just been kind of extreme. So I feel like I'm being a hypocrite and that I have not worked out like I used to always because I've not gone outside. And it's it's like in LA, it's been just pouring rain for like four months. And it's never like that here. It's always like this perfect. I know I was there 
in the winter and I was like, why is it still raining? I know. This year it's just been like the worst. It's more like Oregon right now. I don't know why, but it's not been good. But they have these songs about California. It never rains in Southern California, the Beach Boys, but it does. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I think, you know, you have to kind of kick yourself a little and, and say it's really important to exercise and to keep the muscle memory going with MS especially and um, doing whatever you can. But, uh, you know, you have to be careful with MS, too, to not get overheated. Um, if you're out in the sun on a really hot day, you know, you've got to watch out. You don't want your body temperature to go over 100 degrees, which it can in the heat when you're exercising. And you have to be really careful. And even sitting out, you know, in the sun, you know, tanning and so forth, it can really uh, be bad for somebody with MS because if you fall asleep in the sun, sometimes you might wake up and not be able to walk. Um, you have to be having that cold drink next to you getting and having an umbrella, getting your feet in the water and you know, it's, it's, it's much more important than your tan. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I know we're at time. So I want to ask just a final question for you, which is how can we support your organizations? How can we show up? How can someone who is passionate about either MS research or addiction, how can we get involved? Okay, well, we would love everybody in the whole world to get involved. We have a big event coming up for Race Race MS. You can go to eracems.org and fabulous event you've ever heard of on June 2nd in LA at the Fairmont Century Plaza Hotel. And you can reserve tickets uh, through our website, erasems.org. People want to make a contribution. Uh, we sell t-shirts and different things online, uh, candles, what have you. And we'd love that. Um, for uh, Cure Addiction Now or CAN, uh, our, our website is curedictionnow.org. And you can go to that website. We are we've not we're not having an event yet, but we we are selling um, merchandise. We love donations. Uh, we have in September a symposium coming up in LA, and we're doing different events, and uh, we're we're getting there. Um, we, we we've funded fourteen studies now. We're really excited about what's happening, and uh, we got something published in Nature magazine, which was pretty exciting. And uh, we're, we're 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 it's 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 like a whole new territory. To, to conquer because nobody's really done anything for 20 years in addiction which of, of coming up with medications and doing basic science research which I find so appalling for a disease that's the leading cause of death in our country and the way that we shame people it's so wrong and so unfair nobody chooses a disease um I know you didn't choose MS. I didn't choose MS. All of a sudden, there it was. Um, my son didn't choose to be an addict. At 21, he had his first drug, and it set off like alarms in his head, and he became an addict off and on for the next 12 years. We have to stop shaming and putting people down. We need to respect that they don't want to be that way, and we need to find really good solutions, and we have to honor everybody's pride and make people feel good and supported and loved and not isolated for any disease they have. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to stop. Thank you so much, Nancy, for coming on the show. We really appreciate all the work you've been doing for this. And um, I hope that anyone listening will take a few minutes out of their day, maybe get some merchandise or donate. I think it'll be amazing. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to Too Smart for This. I am so grateful that you took the time out of your day to take a listen to these conversations. If you're looking for more content, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Too Collective. And don't forget to follow me, your host, Alexis Barber, on the Gram TikTok as well. Don't forget, you can also watch our solo episodes on YouTube. So be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Alexis Barber. And we do a weekly giveaway of PR products or Amazon gift cards 
cards to girls who leave great reviews down below. So please make sure to leave your reviews and follow us on Instagram to be notified in case you win. And with that, do not forget that you are too smart to not love yourself and see you in the next episode. Thank you.